folks. Uh, thank you for being here today. I hope everything's just going awesome for you. Uh, I hope that uh, you're staying healthy, and I hope that you're staying in God's Word, and I hope that you're staying in prayer. And so in all those things, I hope that you're encouraged when you come and, and tune in with us on, on, a, on a particular day, whatever uh, you are turning on our YouTube uh, channel. We're thankful that you're here. Uh, today we're going to continue on in the book of Titus. Uh, and you know we got up to last or last week we got up to verse number five and we're going to pick up there again and we'll be going all the way through verse number 16. And so Titus, if you could get your Bible turned over that way, um, what we're going to be talking about is a series now. This is week number seven of what is the church. And today we're going to come at it at a little bit different angle because we're just following the scripture. And it's going to be, what is wrong with this picture? That's going to be the, the name of our message today. And I'll tell you why. Have you, ever, have you ever seen one of those pictures? Or a lot of times it's a drawing. Sometimes it's, a, it's actual uh, pictures of, of actual events. Uh, sometimes it's a nice painting. Um, but what it is, it's, all, it's usually got uh, just a whole bunch of things in the frame. A lot of busy activity. And the caption somewhere says, what is wrong with this picture? And so right away, you're, you're tipped off that you know that there's, there's something in there that just isn't right. And so you use your knowledge of, of, of what you have already stored, and you just look and you look at that picture, and you stand back and you analyze it to the best that you can. And most generally, if you look at it long enough and look at it based on what you know as truth, uh, then you step back and you finally go, aha. There it is. That does not belong in this picture. It must have been like that for Titus. When Paul gave him the instructions that we ended with last week in verse number 5, where it says that Paul, speaking to the younger man, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. Today Paul is going to speak about some of the things that simply do not belong in the church. Last week, if you were here, and if not, you certainly can go back and watch the video. We introduced the characters of this passage, and the reason we did that wasn't to talk so much about the players in, the, in, the, in, the, in this, but it, to demonstrate the amazing movement of God's hand that just transcends um, miles and countless years to use ordinary people um, to end up establishing and getting to a point way down the road of completely unforeseen ways that accomplish his good work. What he asks his church, that is you and I, is to just simply not worry about the details because he's got all that covered. He knows where he's taken you and he knows the end result. What he wants from us is to simply be faithful, to do our very best to keep on keeping Jesus famous wherever and whenever he might send us. So that's what we're going to continue on in the discussion today. And we're going to begin in verse number uh, 6. And the title, or the, just a short heading on that is, You Must Be Different. You might recall that we talked about that several weeks ago when we were in the Beatitudes in Matthew. And so if you wanted to go back and look at that passage, you certainly can. But Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, Don't act like the world, because things have changed for you. And now you must be different. The world will know you because you're so different, and they will know me because of your difference. 
God uses ordinary people and, and, and just transcends or trans, uh, moves their life down the way such a distance that everybody stands and says, there's no way that guy could have ended up from to there from where he started unless the hand of God had not moved in his life. And so the, what we're talking about here is the church, remember, in Crete. Paul is saying, here's what's going on, and this doesn't belong. Verse number 6. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest game. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, I want to say that every single word, every letter of God's word is eternally important. But our, for our efforts here today, in the short time that we have together, I don't want to get lost in the details of the particular sins or errors or what is wrong with this picture that Paul was talking about. Uh, because it's clear that it's not the specific sin, because all sin is sin. Uh, we know in Romans chapter 1 even that, that God says that gossiping, and he lines it right up with uh, murder, they're alongside of each other in a list of sins that will separate you from God, apart from the cross, of course. So the fact that Paul had, but the fact that Paul had to give these instructions anyhow would lead us to believe that there were people in charge in the church that were, were leaders of the church who had the negative side of his descriptions. And it wasn't the fact that they had sin present because we all fall short of the glory of God. True. But what these people had was visible sin that was either excused or tolerated in the church. And so it was a piece of the church in Crete that certainly did not belong in the picture that God was painting for a church to look like. Jesus stood on earth and he says, as the church, you must be different. You must be different. You remember last week that we mentioned that uh, these folks, this church in Crete, very possibly had its start in Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter walked out of the closed room and stood on the streets and preached the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 people were saved, and the Cretans were, were certainly mentioned as part of that crowd. And so they took, went back to Crete from, from Jerusalem, and now some 30 years later, Paul and Titus showed up, and they never had the full word. Up until this time, they had limited knowledge of what it truly meant from the new life in Jesus Christ, the new covenant. And so Paul tells Titus, things aren't quite right. And so instruct them how to get back on track in verse number 9. It says, they must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it had been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute anybody who opposes it. What he was telling Titus is, get these folks to read in their Bible. Get them back in the Word, and so they can analyze that. 
and look for what the perfect picture must look like. Up until this time, they didn't have the full story, and so we can maybe just uh, be under, almost understandable of what else we find happening on Crete when Paul is instructing Titus. In verse number 10, it says, For there are many rebellious people, those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, and this is the important part of it, so that they will be sound in their faith. Get them back on track. So they will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject truth. The subheading of this is religiosity, the answer. What was taking place here is that those who were brought up under the Jewish traditions, that's why they were in Pentecost in Jerusalem on that day, because they were following the rules. They needed to be there. They needed to travel the 1,500 miles to get to Jerusalem during Pentecost. They were very religious people. But the mistake that they were making is that they were taking the old requirements and saying that now those must be added to the new covenant church of Jesus Christ. Isn't this just a great example of that pendulum swing of humankind? We, we, we want to counteract the, the sin that has taken place in our lives, and so then we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side of it, and then we're, we have this, what turns out to be some sort of a hyper-works-driven uh, religiosity. And when we do that, then we start scorning everybody else that doesn't think about things exactly the way that we do. And there's separations and there's argument, and, and, and we stand back and we look at the church, and we say, what's wrong with this picture? So I want to go back to that, our opening illustration then. What is wrong with this picture? So Paul left Titus on Crete to straighten out what was left undone. Interestingly enough, these very things are still going on in the church today. We might feel sorry for and understand and even excuse the people at Crete because they didn't have the whole story. But we don't have that something to lean on because, incredibly enough, we have the very Word of God in print right in front of us. And so we have this opportunity today with God guiding Paul's pen to stand back and analyze the picture of Crete and maybe uh, uh, put it alongside of our church today. And we ask ourselves, what is wrong with this picture? And what we found in Crete, at least, and what Paul pointed out for us today, the things that didn't belong are twofold. Number one, that sometimes those who claim to be in Christ remain at least visibly unchanged because they keep hold of their favorite sins 
They somehow get in our minds that we can categorize sin, and this one's not so bad, and I know other people that are much worse, or, or we say that in, in where I come from, this isn't such a bad thing. And then we forget about the things that God says we must change. It's almost like our mentality is that we've just joined another club, and so we're just part of something that's taken place, and you know, we, we might dress the, way, the part, and we might even talk the part. But if we're not allowing God to change us, then there's absolutely something wrong with that picture. When this takes place, the directive of Paul is still accurate. When we allow sin in our life and we make excuses for that and we continue to do so without repentance and turning away from it, we simply do not know the Word of God. Paul encouraged Titus to tell the Cretan people, read your Bible. That is still applicable today. Ephesians 5.25-27 says this, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. When we stand back and we look at the church, we know that there are things in there that just simply don't belong. And the cure is knowing the directive of God's Word that we have at hand. Number two from our text this morning, there are those who claim salvation of the cross of Jesus Christ and then attempt to deflate the power of the cross, the, the very mechanism they claim brought them to eternal life and salvation. But then they say that's not quite enough because now they start demanding added measures to gain hold or to hold on to salvation. They make a list of measures that we need to match up to their truly misunderstanding of God's directives. To this, I'm sure that Paul would say, you simply do not know the Word of God. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, sure enough. But the free gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel is the story of complete forgiveness, and it is found only in the cross of Jesus Christ, and nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing needs to be added to that. Everything that brings us back into a relationship with God is found in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. And there, everything we need to know God, everything we need to hear God, everything we need to be forgiven, everything we need to have in place for eternal life, is complete and truly eternal. It's not always a list of theological requirements, but sometimes we start believing that we have the opportunity to work real hard, and that will help God like us a little more. 
I encourage you to do what Paul says. Start reading your Bible and know truly what it means to live a life of freedom in Jesus Christ. Verse number 15 and 16 finishes out this, uh, this little chapter uh, 1. And it says an interesting thing there, and it almost seems to me like Paul's almost um, starting a new conversation. And so I had to really try to pray about this and try to figure out exactly what it means. And he goes like this, uh, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted, and they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. If we flip that conversation, uh, that statement, upside down, addressing the portion that says they profess to know God, and by their actions the world sees it just doesn't match up. But I think that Paul's already covered that, and we know that. We stand back and we look at that, and when people profess to know God, but their actions are completely different, we say, what is wrong with this picture? It's easy for us to see that that does not fit in our knowledge of what God's church should look like. That's not a hard one. The understanding is, what does it mean to the pure, all things are pure? I'm sure that many people listening are like, my goodness, this guy, that's basic stuff. But I had, I've thought about it this week, and I, I think for the years I've just kind of skipped over this, thinking that, you know, okay, I, I read the words, but I don't really let them penetrate my soul. And, and so the, I thought about this, and I, I present this to you today. The, the, to the pure, all things are pure. What is pure? I think it's the people that are able to see God in everything. When we think about the book of Titus, and that oh, oh, we mentioned last week that things are just uh, God's work is transcending miles and, and, and dates and years and, and decades. But God's work is true, and it's always taken place. And so uh, the pure are those who are seeking God to the point where they see God in everything. Um, we, I've never really stopped to consider that, but you see, if, if, if we seek God in everything, we see God in everything. And so that develops the clarity of thought, the purity of what Paul was speaking about, tell them to get back to the Word. We have a scripture that I'd like to share with you today, and I, and, and I, and I think it's very um, descriptive of what I'm trying to get at here. And if I say things that there's like, I don't even know what, for sure what he's getting at, would you please open your Bibles after this and look for yourself and find what God is speaking to you. But when I think to the pure, all things are pure. Those who see God in everything understand Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. Let the world watch and see nothing wrong with the picture you are presenting. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when you seek God with everything, you begin to see God in everything. 
And when you see God in everything, the world is a pure place. And here it is in verse number 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Purity. God is working. And the world is watching. And so how are we presenting the church to them? In the church, God intends to paint a beautiful Rembrandt. Perfect, flawless, priceless. But often when we, and, and, and unfortunately the watching world, steps back, and looks at the picture as a whole, what we see is a place that's very busy. And it has a lot of moving parts. And, and if we don't look too close, it, it looks very pretty. But if we watch and we look and we, we're around it long enough, we, we see all this activity, but eventually what we find is that there are things that according to scriptures simply do not belong. So that's our charge today, church. We've got work to do. Because as the church of 2020, we have to consider ourselves all Tituses. We have been left behind to finish what was left undone. That's why in the next chapter, when we get there the next time we meet, Paul says in verse number 10, get these things in place, Titus. Get folks to seek God with everything they have. Get the people back into the scriptures that they have now fully right in front of them. Start emulating the word of God. Seek God in everything. See God in everything. And find purity in your life. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. It's beautiful. So folks, I hope this week as you go about your business, your primary business at all times is to keep Jesus famous. So have a great week. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love each other. Pray for each other. And man, read your Bible. Take care. We'll see you soon.